We would like to acknowledge that this is recorded on the Tecumlups to Shkwetmek within the Shkwetmek Hulu territory, and we are honored to live, work, and play, learn on this wonderful territory of Tecumlups to Shkwetmek as we ground ourselves, acknowledge the territory. Okay, we are here to share the learning about the teenage adolescent stage of life. This is for the Social Work Human Development Podcast with Maddie. Hello, Maddie. <laughs> Hello, Chris. How are you? Oh, I am good. The big thing, the big question that I wanted to come out of this podcast with is how can I connect with youth and adolescents, teenagers more effectively? Yeah, that's a good curious question. <laughs> Being non-judgmental, offering that knowledge that extends their proximal development and building those relationships by being genuine, understanding that there's that reward system there. The risky behavior is because of their brain development. Definitely. Like that was the new learning piece for me, to be honest, was the the risk-taking behavior and the cognitive development and just realizing that it's expanding and just recognizing that and just sitting with that. That really does inform working with adolescents. Adolescents roughly accounts for ages 10 to 19, and it's the passage between childhood and adulthood. So how was your experience as from that age, 10 to 19? Um, I definitely think it was a period of finding myself. And something that's interesting in research is finding out that it really just is the period of like finding your identity and like finding out who you are, what you make of yourself, who you want to be for the future. What about yourself? Yeah, I think the same. It was definitely a period of just trying to... Actually, you know what? It wasn't about finding myself. It was more about finding my belonging and finding Mm -hmm. my friends. Um, And that sort of shaped who I was as a person. Definitely about finding friends. And the funny thing is, I never really kept any of those friends. I just moved (laughs) on in my life. And I think for me personally, just with with my teenage life, my adolescent life, it's like this forgotten stage of my of my life. And for me to reflect or recall memories from it, I actually have to think and be like, oh, what was that like when I was in high school? What was that like when I was living in in the city and doing all those things. I feel like most of my life occurred after that whole stage. That's interesting. And that's interesting because like when you're in that stage, when you're in that adolescent stage, you're in high school, it is so huge. It is such every day, any drama that happens at high school, it is such a big thing. And I think in social work, that'll, that will definitely come up working with adolescents talking them through it and just hearing them out and like hearing that like we might look back and think wow high school really did matter but for them like it's very present and it's very right now and just to like let them feel that and create the space for that it is interesting researching it and and reading about the adolescent stage because you have all these various theories amongst psychology such as erickson's theory of stages And the adolescent stage is that identity versus crisis stage. In the Feldman and Laundrie textbook, they introduce an updated version to Erickson's theory introduced by a psychologist called James Marcia. 
and it's regarding the identity development. And I found it really interesting. Identities understood in terms of the two characteristics, crisis or commitment. It seems to really go along with what we've spoken about regarding that risk-taking and just the finding sense of oneself. The four categories, the first one is identity achievement. So they say that adolescents in this category have thought out who they are, who they want to become after experiencing a period of crisis. The second category is identity foreclosure. They say that adolescents finding themselves in this category have committed to an identity. However, they didn't pass through a period of crisis. Instead, they've accepted others' decisions about what's best for them, their future selves. Um, It's noted that this category experiences a high need for social approval. Do you have any thoughts on why someone in this category might seek an outside validation? Outside validation is huge. What I think about is brain development Mm. when I think about adolescence and how, how great and how vast the brain is evolving at this time or just growing and developing at this time. And in the adolescent stage, it is an elevated or active striatum. Some of the research I found was from Irwa Domonfiel in their article titled Adolescent Brain Development from the University of London in the UK. In this whole article, it pretty much discusses how there is an active striatum which correlates to the emotions and the reward system of the brain. This has a greater influence of social, emotional, and reward context on decision making. That was the gist of what I got from the article, just understanding that with an elevated striatum, adolescents are more prone to receive a reward and receive that dopamine when they get a reward and also engage in higher risk activities. So the third category is where adolescents have explored potential paths. However, they've, they have not made any commitments or choices. It's suggested that they experience high anxiety and psychological conflict due to not making any choices, typically setting settling on an identity after a struggle. I found it really interesting that it says adolescents in this category often seek intimacy with others. The piece about going to college and not knowing what you want to do. I feel like in my research, I didn't really come across that. And that's a very huge, huge piece of adolescence. And just a lot of people I'll even meet at university. Oh, what are you, what are you taking? Like, what do you want to do? Oh, I have no idea. Like that is very common. And that's really interesting to do with all of these theories is, and finding identity and the future when a lot of people really just don't know and they're not worried about it. That makes me think of the attachment theory. It was explained to me through a workshop that I did online with Gordon Newfield. And he explained the roots of attachment. So the roots of attachment, as according to Gordon Newfield, was senses, sameness, significance, love, and belonging. And he explained it as we have our attachments and these roots of attachment. And whenever a youth or even specifically a child is displaced or that attachment is broken from either a caregiver, a parent, um, even a teacher, then you need to reattach those roots and use good soil and and create good attachments so that your whole potential can grow and you bloom into this wonderful plant. And that's sort of the analogy that Gordon Neufeld used. And so that sense of belonging and loyalty is a root of attachment 
that I think we need to we need to be able to replant and we need to be able to find that belonging when we get into college. Possibly many youth do find that really well and have strong attachments in high school and then you rip that out and if there's not a, a stable foundation there, if there's not a stable strong root, then it will be really hard to find that belonging again in college. That is really interesting. That's like a beautiful analogy with the roots and the soil. Attachment theory starts like in infancy, right? Mm-hmm. But then the more that a plant is transplanted, it can be harder for that plant to, to survive. Or maybe it also creates resilience. And then there's a lot of resilience in the adolescent stages. And that draws on like a strength-based potential to use a strengths-based approach working with adolescents and just acknowledging the resilience that they do have for all the challenges that they overcome. Other research I found is a study done uh, with Syrian refugee adolescents. The title is Working Memory and Emotional Interpretation Bias in a Sample of Syrian Refugee Adolescents by Mueller et al. This was done from in a, a university in Germany. Their findings were really interesting because they talk about memory within the cognitive development side of that and how an adolescent who has experienced high traumatic symptoms and how their memory has developed or, or improved. Their findings said that adolescents who experience or had high trauma symptoms were 20% worse at remembering the correct location in a working memory task than adolescents who had low traumatic symptoms. And this was somewhat of a surprise to the, the surveyors and the, the researchers as they thought it would be more dramatic. Part of this study was identifying positive or negative facial expressions. They had to recognize whether a surprised face was negative or positive. And they were 20% more negative than positive which was the same as people with low traumatic symptoms. And this was a surprise to them as they thought that there would be more of a discrepancy between high traumatic symptoms and low traumatic symptoms. Think about cultural aspects to that. It's possible for a youth or a youth to find a belonging with their culture and with, with their community, especially in, in rural communities or, or on reserves um, within indigenous communities. And then to be disattached, to be displaced from that community into a much more colonial environment of, of the city or urban environment. And then to find your belonging in that urban environment would be extremely difficult. That's really interesting and that's very applicable to social work with adolescents, particularly in like a child, child welfare, child protection area. Yeah, working with adolescents who have been displaced from their communities and from their culture recognizing that in these years you're developing that sense of self and just how disrupted that will have been and working through it with them and helping them make meaning and maybe find those connections to their culture even think about what if you're a social worker working for working for the military or in the army with the canadian armed forces right they move around all the time how are those children the children of military professionals going to adapt to that changing environment Many youth move from their rural community to an urban environment just to go to high school, you know? That's very true, and you say that about the military, and that makes me think, like, there are other careers even, like policing. Mm -hmm. When you're a police officer, often you have to move communities a lot, and yeah, how that impacts 
the adolescent children. Do you think it would be traumatic? Definitely. I, well, I shouldn't say that it will be traumatic, but I think it could be. Depending on maybe the roots that they put down and if they had maybe a solid group of friends or a, a good relationship with their teacher and they moved to a brand new community and a brand new school and maybe finding it harder to make those connections. Before we move on, I will say the fourth and final category of the critique to Eric and Erickson Please, theory. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so the fourth one is identity diffusion. So they say that adolescents in this fourth and final category are not exploring identities, nor are they committing to other alternatives. They're likely shifting from one thing to the next. They appear carefree, but the lack of commitment they're experiencing is said to impair their ability to form close relationships, leaving them socially withdrawn. What did you think about this new approach to identity development and like the update on Ericsson with those four categories? Yeah, I think the update is definitely needed. I think yeah. the finding identity or crisis is kind of this colonial perspective that we hold. Very Western. Very Western, very industrious to like, okay, find out who you are so that you can be a contributing member to society. So this idea. That's so true. And it actually, I didn't consider that when I was reading that but that is so true about the western and it's just like oh in your adolescence 20 years old you have gotta know what you're gonna do for the rest of your life so something else that came up in my research that would be applicable to what we've spoken about um the national association of social workers in 2003 they brought up an important consideration in their standards of practice with adolescents so they recognize that the way in which adolescents navigate the changes and challenges of this stage is highly influenced by their interactions, both positive and negative, with their community and larger social environment. And I think it's really important to just recognize that this includes social workers and it really highlights the way in which we have the opportunity to provoke and aid in positive change. Understanding that the health and well-being of our young people and the adults they'll become are largely affected by their experiences during this developmental milestone. I think it's so important to identify adolescents' positive supports. Yeah, so just being, yeah, supporting that and just reassuring them and just having empathy around that. Because of that growing brain, because of that reward system, that active striatum and that developing prefrontal cortex, it is very important to just encourage the questioning of things, encourage that questioning of why is the world this way? Why is the world built with all these colonial economic constructs? Why is the world built to value a patriarchal hierarchy? And then that I think would be used in that, that value system to propose questions when somebody comes with some value that might seem somewhat toxic, like, to like a toxic masculine value. Mm -hmm. Just being curious activated striatum. Very active striatum also encourages risky behavior along with an undeveloped prefrontal cortex to negotiate the risks. I think adolescence is right away like we need to start talking about harm reduction. And harm reduction has always been related to substance use but we need to expand that, that idea of harm reduction to every aspect of our life. 
When we walk down the stairs, we use a railing. That's harm reduction. When we go on a bike, we put on a helmet. That's harm reduction. And so when we're doing a risk, whether it's substance use or whether it's going to a party or whether it's just attending school in an urban area or going to university in a downtown metropolitan area, what are the ways that we can reduce the risks when we engage in any activity? STIs and I feel like a role as a social worker working with adolescents might be just providing information about sexually transmitted infections, um, being, a pe being a support for these young people and to ensure they have someone in their lives that they can confide in and to educate them in a gentle and supporting manner rather than scolding and punishing. Um, just creating those safe places to talk about what's going on. Additionally, social workers may be counseling adolescents on the importance of yeah, safe, safe sex. Further research that I did concluded that emerging evidence suggests that adolescence is a time of heightened reward seeking and heightened learning. The study that they engaged in further demonstrated this heightened reward seeking with adolescents. Sensitivity to effective context in striatal circuitry can facilitate learning. Heightened striatal circuitry along with that undeveloped and developing prefrontal cortex really, I think, defines what an adolescence is, or at least in a psychological basis context, um, where developing brain heightened striatum causes for more reward seeking, more need to have dopamine and serotonin, and then that also leads to higher risk taking. And so that goes into the harm reduction piece and discussing harm reduction with adolescents but it also goes into that ability to learn in a much faster way. That was done by Samantha DePasque and Adriana Galvan, the neurobiological responses in the adolescent striatum to be tested. Feldman and Laundry speak about the rites of passage and ceremonies that some cultures have in life stages in adolescence. For example, Jewish cultures have bar mitzvahs and quinceaneras are rooted in Mexico for a girl's 15th birthday. And though these ceremonies differ culture by culture, the underlying purpose tends to be of simil similar nature to celebrate the physical changes that transform a child's body into an adult body that's capable of reproduction. Anderson speaks about some like indigenous ceremonies that symbolize growth and a child moving into adolescence and moving out of adolescence into adulthood and just the symbols that come from those ceremonies. Anderson talked about a fasting ceremony when a woman starts their menstrual cycle, right? Yeah, so that's Next just that, that same piece about going from childhood to adulthood and celebrating the reproduction piece. So that's really interesting from an indigenous perspective. So something else that came up in my research was an article by Tyrone Ching. He spoke about the factors related to adolescents seeking help from social workers in mental health settings. So very applicable again to what we've spoken about so far. What we've spoken about so far is that adolescents seek help for mental health and the influence that this has 
relating to their personal beliefs, their family's finances, so their socioeconomic status, and their proximity to services. So this is just very relevant to what we spoke about, about rural communities. Thank you. 